All right, all right, Rockbridge, I hope everybody is doing great. So glad that you have decided to join with us this weekend at six of our physical locations, and then so many of you are engaging online. So however you're here, we are so glad you're here. We believe you're not here by accident, but God's got something for you. So uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series where we're going through every verse in every chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. He wrote several letters. This one is called 1 Corinthians we're calling this series Ripple Effect. Let me just say this, maybe for those of you who are, who are new or checking Rockbridge out or back in church for, after a while or first time ever, that, that's so awesome. We're so glad that you're here. And even for those of us who, who kind of call Rockbridge our home, that we Christ followers believe that the Bible is God's word to us. It is sufficient. It is authoritative. And so we're submitting ourselves afresh to his word by letting the outline, the flow, the topics of 1 Corinthians dictate what we talk about, what we teach about, and what we seek to apply to our lives in this time in the unique history of Rockbridge Community Church as we've just turned 20 years old and we began this church saying the Bible is our only tradition. And so what a better time for us is to renew our commitment, submit ourselves afresh to the treasure, the miracle, the truth, and the grace that are all part of God's Word. So here we are. Let's go. 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 9 today. I'll put these verses on the screen. You can also open your Bible up, turn your app on, and follow along with me. We'll eventually land in 1 Corinthians 9. So let me ask you a question. When is the last time somebody asked you why? No, 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 let me be clear. Not, why did you do that? Like you're in trouble, like you might ask your kid or like your wife might ask you, like, why did you do that? No, but someone said, hey, why do you do what you do? Why do you spend your time the way you spend your time? Why do you get involved or not get involved with what you get involved with? Why do you spend your money the way you spend your When's the last time someone asked you why, right? And, and so that's just such a powerful question when we get behind the why behind the what, the, the reason, the purpose for the things that we do, or the reason or the purpose for how we do the things that we do. Now, let me, let me add a layer to this question. When's the last time someone asked you why? And the answer was not simply something to do with your culture or your tradition. Well, that's, we're just Americans, or hey, I'm an Evans, and that's just what we do. We, or, or the answer was not just a personal ambition or dream or goal. It, the answer was not, well, I, a preference or, or, hey, I can do whatever I want to do. That's why. Preference like, hey, I, the, the reason I want to go eat steak and the reason I choose Longhorn is I just like Longhorn the best right? or whatever. Uh, the reason is not, hey, other people, I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses or I'm following the crowd or this is what my friend group does. So I'm trying to just shrink the reasons why we do what we do. And then a lot of times why we do what we do is money, pleasure, or power. Big three motivators uh, at the extreme negative, they're, they're idols, but money, pleasure, or power. Now, now here's what I, I think, if we're honest, you're discovering. These whys, the why I do, why I do, why I do, they st this drives a lot of what we do. These things right here drive a lot of the way we do what we do. And, and so when, the, when someone asks you why, a lot of the why is, is contained here on this screen, and, and that's just sort of our why. But today we're going to talk about a different why, and we're going to talk about a why that really ought to drive so much 
of, of what it means to be a Christ follower. So it's like a great day if you're a Christ follower, and it's a great day if you're checking out Christianity because you really get to get a, 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 a behind-the-scenes look at, at the fuel or the internal combustion engine, if you will, that drives authentic, real, vibrant Christianity. All right, so in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is having to answer why. He, his apostleship, an apostle is someone that has an eyewitness account to the resurrected Jesus. So Paul had that experience on the Damascus Road. You can read about it in the book of Acts, in particular chapter 9. But Paul is having to defend his why, why he's an apostle, why he doesn't do certain things that most everyone in his field did, why he behaves the way he behaves. And so chapter 9, most of it at least, the, the part that we're going to look at today, this week, over this, this weekend together, is really Paul giving his why. And, and let me just state out of the gate here, it's not going to be any of these things right here. It's not going to be any of these typical whys that drive so much of what we do. Paul's operating on a different why. Let's join him. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. <clears throat> First, he says, am I not free? So there's a freedom, one that we have as Americans, two that we have as human beings. There's a freedom that we have as Christ followers as well. And so Paul says, hey, I am free. He says, am I not an apostle? I had an eyewitness experience with Jesus. I have what's known as apostolic authority. So Paul knows he has authority as a, as a, as a pastor, shepherd, missionary for Jesus to teach, to preach, to start and plant churches. So he says, and am I not an apostle? So there's four questions that begin the chapter. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord, which is related to his apostleship? Are you, the church at Corinth, not my work in the Lord? If you've been with us tracking in this series, Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth when he started this church, and now he's catching up with them through these letters. So are you, Corinth, not my work? Are you not fruit of my labor, my preaching, my teaching, my evangelism in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. I spent 18 months with you because you are the seal, the sign, the evidence of my apostleship. That's that apostolic authority in the Lord. So there's four questions that Paul asks, and the answer is really yes to all of them. Yes, this is you, you, could, you can do what you do, the, the why behind what you do or what you don't do. You're an apostle. You've seen Jesus. There's fruit to your ministry. And then he gets more specific. He says, my defense, my why, my reason, my explanation for why I do, for what I do, the explanation for what I do, my explanation to those who examine me is this. And then he goes down a different train of thought, and I'll explain it in just a minute. Here's what he says, don't we have the right to eat and drink? So you got to follow here, but Paul is basically going to talk about ministers' right to get paid for ministry. Now, Paul himself doesn't get paid, and we're going to unpack that, but he's basically saying, don't we have the right to eat and drink, to support ourselves because of our ministry? Now, there's some people in Corinth at this time that were bothered because Paul, as, a, as an orator and, and speakers or public speaker, whether you're a Christian public speaker or a political public speaker or an entertainer in Corinth, high value on rhetoric, high value on oral communication in, in this first century time period, 
and people, they expected you to get paid for it. It was a sign of your authority. It was a sign of your expertise. Expertise. So one of the reasons some of the Corinthians are questioning Paul's apostleship is because Paul actually is not taking a salary. But he says, I have the right to. And we'll unpack that even more as we navigate forward. Just want to set that up for us. We continue. He says, don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Caiaphas. So Paul's already said he's single. He believes he has a supernatural gift to be celibate. And, and we celebrate singleness as, as a part of God's plan for many of us. And we also celebrate marriage as part of God's plan, part of God's plan for many of us. But Paul's like, hey, I have the right to get married, but I'm not exercising that right. He goes on, he says, do only Barnabas and I have the right to refrain from working so we, we can work, uh, we can work and get our money from ministry, or we don't have to do that. So what Paul is basically saying is, I have the right to exercise my freedom in Christ. I have the right to get paid for ministry. I have the right to marry a believing wife. But that's not the why behind why I do what I do, or why I don't do certain things that some of you think I ought to do. So Paul's operating from a different why. Because again, he could say, just like you and I could say, hey, I have every right to do what I'm doing, and that's why I do what I do. You and I could say, hey, I have every right to uh, get paid. I have every right. To, it's my money. I can do what I want to with my money. I mean, and that could be our why. And, 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 there's, and on the surface, there's really nothing wrong with that, Okay. He, he, you know, in his case, he's like, hey, I, I'm not telling other ministers, I'm not telling other pastors that you can't get married. You have a right to get married, but that's not why I am not married. So what Paul is getting at that becomes a timeless principle, a lot of this stuff is first century Corinth stuff, and, and I know we're like, hey, I don't live there, we live in 21st century America. Well, first century Corinth is a lot like 21st century America, but there are some unique things in each, in each of those two respective contexts. But the timeless principle that begins to emerge from what Paul is talking about in these first few verses is this one. Christ followers' lives and lifestyles should require an explanation. There ought to be people looking at the lives of Christians and asking us or having some level of curiosity towards us about why we do and don't do what we do. They should be asking the why behind our what. And that's really where Paul is, is talking to them, is that his life is so countercultural, his life is so maybe unique and different that it demands, it requires an explanation. In other words, Christians... It, whether it's in their character, how they spend their time, how they spend their money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, should look and operate somewhat differently from the city or the community or the culture, in some of your cases, from your own families, your own biological or, or families. And we get this principle in another place in Scripture, in 1 Peter 3, this is one of the verses that's part of our hope, what, what the foundational verses for our hope ministry, which is how we go out and, and try to bless the communities, the six communities that we live, 
by doing what we call Hope Projects. It's basically local missions, such a powerful part and a big part of the Rockbridge Way. But a lot of the, a lot of the thought behind that comes from 1 Peter 3.15, which says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So, set us, so, yes, set apart Jesus as Lord in your heart. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason, to give the why for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so just where we are right now in navigating forward in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we got to pause and maybe ask ourselves a challenging question that sometimes maybe people aren't asking us our why because our why looks the same as theirs. We do the same things that everyone else does. We look, we're Christians, but we look a lot like Corinthians instead of we're Christians in Corinth who look somewhat different in a way that demands an explanation. And so that's just an incredible thing that we need to lay over our lives because a lot of times, even even in 21st century America or 1st century Corinth, a lot of us will say, hey, I'm a believer. God is in my heart, just like we read in 1 Peter 3, but nothing looks different outside from the outside looking in. A lot of people may say, well, they go to church. People, I see them pray before meals. But, uh, but other than that, I mean, they do what I do. They act like I act. They spend like I spend, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But scripturally, our lives should have demand an explanation, and our why needs to be somewhat different in some instances at least than the why of the dominant culture around us. Back to Paul, chapter 9, verse 7. He gives several analogies, and he's talking again about the right of ministers to receive pay or salary or compensation for their ministry. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? So he's like, hey, we don't send troops into battle or troops into the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, the Marines, etc., and, and then tell them to fund their own way. No, we as a country pay taxes to help pay them because they provide defense and protect our freedoms. Who plants a vineyard? He talks about agriculture or farmers now. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? No, no, no. It would make no sense for a farmer not to reap some of the benefits of the labor of planting or reaping and sowing. Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink milk from the flock? So, in other words, he's saying, hey, pastors or ministers or missionaries have a right to get paid for their ministry. He continues, am I saying this just from a human perspective? Doesn't the law say the same thing? And he quotes a scripture from Deuteronomy that says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. So the ox gets to eat in order to fuel it for the labor it's providing to the farmer. And he says, Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he saying this for our sake? So this principle is, when you work, you ought to get compensated for your work. He says, yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope of a harvest, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. So here's what he says. So then, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? So if we bless you spiritually, you should bless us materially or give us compensation. That's the right, he says, that ministers have. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Because Paul started the church. He was there for 18 months. And, and so Paul is basically saying, hey, I can use as my why, it's my right. 
I can use as my why. There's a verse from Deuteronomy that backs up the reason I can receive a salary or receive a blessing or an offering from you to support my, my material needs. And then he says, but nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. And there's our question then. Why? Why, Paul, are you doing it so differently than other people who have a similar profession or vocation or job or career as you? And again, the principle that Christians ought to live lives that require an explanation. Now, let's be careful. He has clearly not prescribed this for all ministers and pastors. He's simply said, he's spent multiple verses saying that pastors, ministers of the gospel, people involved in spreading the gospel, people involved in discipling the nations, they should receive compensation. But he zeroes in on himself and he says, but my why is different. I don't take a salary. I don't receive compensation. So we're, we're left scratching our heads asking why. And that's the whole point. People ought to be asking us why, because in some form or fashion, we, our lives, our choices, our decisions, the way we handle things should look different than the world. And that's the timeless principle that we're getting out of this unique situation related to Paul's ministry in this first century city. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, and here he goes, here's the why that we've been waiting for. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul, with great discernment and prayer and intentionality, has decided it is best for him and those who accompany him not to take a salary for the sake, the cause, the purpose, the aims of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who died for us, to redeem us, to adopt us, to pay the penalty of our debt so we could become sons and daughters of God, spend eternal life with him. Now, he, he says his why, but then he backtracks and reiterates that other ministers are free to take a salary or to receive blessing or compensation. Listen to how he does it. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple? They get their lives taken care of by virtue of their service. And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. So in the same way, the Lord has commanded, now he's very explicit, that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. But for Paul, for the sake of the gospel, he has decided not to exercise certain rights. For Paul, now I want to talk about for you and I. We started this and we said, hey, is anybody, when's the last time somebody asked you why you do or don't do certain things? And here's the question I want us all to wrestle with just for a moment based on what God's Word has us, and we're in submission to that Word this weekend as we try to be all of our lives. But do any of our whys have the gospel as the answer? If we were to look at our checkbook or our debit card statement, anything on there, how we spend our money, 
have the gospel as the answer. If we were to look at how we spend our time, and we said, well, I do that because I'm a parent. I do that because I like to. Do any of the places we go and the things we invest our time in, do any of them have as the why the gospel as the answer? And that's the big question, right? Because we are supposed to be different and look different. If we were to look at each other's social media feeds, would the gospel be the big why? Or would it be a why more about our social life or creating an impression for others? So we lay that question over so many aspects of our lives and just hold that there loosely, humbly, submissively before the Spirit of God. We come back to Paul. He says, listen, for my part, and he's being personal here. And this is very, very key. Very, very, very key. We, we can't throw our why on other people. It's very, very personal. He says, so for my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that, so that they may be applied in my case. So he's not writing this to try to get something from the Corinthians. He's writing this to share his why because they were questioning his apostleship, and questioning his decision-making. Here's what he says, though. Now, listen to the burden he has. And this is where he begins to almost like focus the lens on his why in such a powerful and potent way. He says, listen, it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. And his boast is that in his weakness, God's power shines through him as he preaches the gospel. That's his boast, and that comes all the way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. It is a holy burden for Paul to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And woe to me, which is almost like a, a form of a, a cursing. May I be cursed if I do not preach the gospel. And so now we see the passion, we see the conviction that Paul has not arrived at these decisions. His why is, is deeply ingrained in who he is and what he stands for. His why is deeply ingrained in his purpose for existing and his purpose for the call of God that's upon his life. And again, we should not, we should not say Hey, well, that's Paul, that's not me. No, no, no. Notice he says, for my part. Well, you've got a part too. I've got a part too. To play in the kingdom of Jenda, core value number one of Robert's Community Church. We are kingdom seekers, right? So he continues and he says, he, he's unpacking the gospel why. And, and I think there's going to be a couple of things that emerge. The first is it's very personal. It's personal in terms of his passion, and it's personal in terms of intentionality. Listen, the kingdom of God has so many facets to it. It would be uh, foolish and naive to think that all of us would have the exact same passion and the exact same intentionality, but we should still have a gospel why, marking our lives that demands an explanation from a watching world. 
We see also that something that's unique about a gospel. Why is it's missional? It's missional. It's for a cause greater than me. See, a lot of us have personal goals, and we're intentional, and we're passionate about them, but the goals are our goals. Paul's goals are kingdom goals. We are kingdom seekers. His goals are great commission goals. His goals, his ambitions are marked by the cause of Christ. And then, from a certain point of view, his why is sacrificial. I mean, he's foregoing a salary. So he has to spend time making tents to support himself as he goes and preaches the gospel, plants churches, lives as a missionary without taking compensation. So it's sacrificial from a certain point of view. And, and this is where we go a, a little bit a step further. So here, here's the question now I want to ask. Okay, well, what motivates and most especially what sustains a sacrificial why? So a gospel why, what sustains a sacrificial why? So if we're going to live different than the world, it's going to require, in, from one point of view, uh, us to sacrifice. We're going to have less money to spend. We're going to have less time to do exactly what we want to do, when we want to do it, or what we're in the mood for, right? I mean, and you can go down that a couple of things. You're going to have to go to work, and the reason you go to work might be different from the reasons the people next to you go to work. And there might be sacrifice involved there. So what motivates and sustains a sacrificial why? Now, let me stop because I think for a lot of people, especially in the church, it's been guilt. that You know, people like me wearing microphones or standing behind lecterns use guilt to motivate. Give more, serve more. You should, you ought. And that's not what Paul's going to give us, and, that, and, and thankfully so, because guilt can motivate for a season, but it doesn't sustain. You know, sometimes, you know, it's the guilt, it's the, it's the you ought to, and you should, and why don't you, and that's not what Paul's going to do, and that's not what I want us to be about either, because it doesn't last, and it's not genuine, and it's not authentic. So the question is, what motivates and sustains the sacrificial why? And here's what Paul says, listen, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. You know, if I, if I just signed up for this and said, hey, I'll, I'll do it, and, and I'll, nobody else is going to do it. Maybe I should expect some, some material blessing, some reward. But if unwillingly I'm entrusted with a commission, what then is my reward? So basically he's saying, hey, I, I didn't even, God called me to this. God gave me some gifts and talents, a calling, an experience, very unique, Acts 9. Very unique. So what then is my reward? And, and I would just take this, translate it a little bit, and lay it across all of us you have a life. You have been, if you're a Christ follower, God has blessed you. He's gifted you. He's saved you. He's put his spirit in you. He gives you spiritual gifts. You have jobs. You have neighbors. You have paths. You have networks. And God's calling you to live a gospel. Why? Which includes some element of sacrifice. So what then is my reward? And, and so what sustains and motivates us in this journey to live out our why or to manifest our why, or to have a life that demands an explanation, is yes, there is a reward involved. God is a rewarder of those who walk in His ways and live for His glory. So what then is my reward? It's to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of the rights of my, uh, of my rights in the gospel. Here's all he's saying. The gospel is both my why and it's my reward. That when we fall in love with the God of the gospel, 
When we understand why we exist, what God, why God did what he did for us instead of us on the cross, we have our why. We're loving God back. We're a part of his eternal kingdom, his eternal, his eternal joy. And the gospel itself and the God of the gospel rewards us with the privilege of partnering with him, with the privilege of seeing good things, eternal things, bear fruit for the kingdom. And then we have second coming reward that we look for. And that's what sustains us through thick and thin. That's what sustains us to give, to live, to go sacrificially if necessary. But if you remember something, when I was talking about sacrifice, I said from one point of view, it looks sacrificial. From the outside world who would say, hey, Christian, I cannot believe you would give all of that amount of money to your church or to missionaries or to that cause. Hey, Christian, I cannot believe you would take your Saturday morning and give it up and, and go do food drops once a month to bless the people of Catoosa County or Whitfield County or Gordon County or any of our communities. Hey, Christ follower, I, 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 Christian, I, 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 I don't understand why you would do that. That just seems like too much. It's not convenient. It's sacrificial. But from our point of view, the question, from a Christian's point of view, we ask ourselves, is it really sacrificial? And I want to read you a quote from a man named David Livingston. He was a missionary to Africa. In fact, he spread the gospel across the width of Africa, discovered what we know of as Victoria Falls, saw the horrible uh, slave trade that existed in that continent, and became a very, very committed abolitionist. And someone asked him about all the sacrifices he made, and here's what he said. He says, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much time or so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good? So gospel work, it's healthy, healthful activity. I'm conscious of doing good. I have peace of mind and a bright hope of a glorious destiny eternal destiny hereafter. He goes, away with the word in such a view. So don't talk to me about sacrifice, he says. And with such a thought, it is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may muck us pause and may cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink but let this only be for a moment. It's not always easy. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Here's what he says, because all these things are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. And here's what he says, I never made a sacrifice. It's powerful, right? The why of the gospel the reward of the gospel will allow us all to say this in light of the eternal blessings of being part of the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus that the gospel brings into existence. So I'm asking all of us prayerfully to look at our why afresh this weekend. And let me share a couple of things. The first is this, normal. Over time, our why can change, diminish, and even be, be forgotten. We have to remind ourselves of our why. We have to reinvigorate ourselves and renew ourselves to living our why, 
to living our why. But the gospel is the greatest why ever. The gospel and the church that it fuels, the greatest why ever. To help remind us of this why, we want to engage in a responsive reading where where it's one of those where I see so clearly the heart of Jesus. I see so clearly the heart of God behind the gospel. So I'll read the words in white, you read the words highlighted in yellow. Let's all participate as one church, whether you're online or any of our six physical locations, as we read the word of God. I'll read this part, you'll read the yellow. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be held onto. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That's where history is headed, and that's our why. I want to ask you to reflect. I want you to think about where your life takes you as an employee, as a parent, as a child, the places you go, the people you know, where you spend the majority of your time. And for some of us, for many of us, This message invites you not to change what you do, but maybe to change why and how you do it. Yeah, you've got to go to the ball field. And and, and yeah, everybody's, every parent at the ball field, their why is to support their kids. And you keep that why. But maybe you add to it, God, would you let me talk to one person that doesn't know you? God, would you let me invite one person maybe to come to church with me? some weekend. Uh, maybe when you go to the ball game, you tend to get a little crazy with the refs. And maybe you, you're like, man, I don't know that I look Christ-like in those moments. So you change your how to match your why. And you can apply that to your job. You can apply that to so many things. So do some reflecting on that. And then lastly, the why of the gospel definitely leads to be more of the explanation for what we do. would love for you to look at four areas. You're giving, Your generosity, serving, church, community, serving, praying. We need to be praying for the gospel to go forth, for friends, for neighbors, for unreached people groups all over the world to come to know Christ or to see or hear the gospel for the first time. And you're going. That's what we talked about, where you go in your life. Some of you may be called to go global and go overseas as missionaries. Praise God, we'll help you. But we're all called to go. And we all have places we already go. We just want to go with the why of the gospel. So to help you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray, and then all of our campus pastors are going to come up and just talk about some opportunities where you can take what's going on in the church and you can live your why as we reflect before God about allowing the gospel to be more of the explanation for our lives and our lifestyle. Let's pray together. God, first, we thank you for the gospel. 
We read it in Philippians 2. God, that Jesus, you gave up your rights as God and became obedient to death for us and instead of us so that we could become sharers, partakers of your presence and your glory and have eternity with you so that we could also become participants and partners in your kingdom agenda, driven by the fuel of the gospel. God, as we've laid our lives before you, would you just give us clarity in areas where we need to change our why? God, would you show us ways that we could have the why of the gospel show up in what we do and in how we live for the glory of your name? And God, we thank you for your church because this family, this team, this body, our sole why is your gospel and the glory it gives you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.